With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the third episode of the McCovey Croncast. I'm Brian Murphy. I am Doug Brizzoni. Groog. Groog. On Twitter, I'm every sixth day on Twitter. And uh, yeah, big news keeps hitting us. The hits keep coming with the Giants news. The big one this week, of course, being the Giants signed Brandon Crawford to a six-year, $75 million extension. And, uh, and well, <laughs> welcome back, Brandon Crawford. Uh, obviously deserving of a contract that matches some of his skills. And one of the funny things that I can think of, Doug, is that recently uh, when Kershaw signed his huge contract, he had tweeted out, and it was like for what, seven or 10 years or seven years. And, uh, yeah. and Brandon Crawford tweeted, seven more years. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember distinctly someone tweeting at him or retweeting with a comment being, uh, yeah, like you'll be around for all seven of those years. <laughs> so I, I just, that stuck in my head is Brandon Crawford is here to stay, folks. Um, and what what a what a dream come true, right? Playing for your hometown team, winning a couple of World Series, and then you're going to make, you know, somewhere close to $80 million in your career playing for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, I think it's exciting for both sides. I think that... Um... That Crawford, obviously, what he gets is financial security. If he had a year like he had this year two more times and he hit the market, then he would probably get $130 million or something. It would be insane. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you, you can't – if you take that risk, then you're taking a risk. $75 million is $75 million. He's, like, thinking about that like, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you could buy with that extra money if you take the risk. Like, what what that's really worth? It, would it be that big of an upgrade on your private island? I can't say. Um, and obviously for the Giants, it's a pretty good deal just because if he produces, not even like he produced this year, if he produces like he produced in 2014 when he was a good player, but not a world beater, not a silver slugger type guy, it's still a really good contract for them. So I think it's it's great for the team. I, I understand it totally from Crawford's perspective. Um, and I, I like the deal for both sides. Yeah, I, I agree uh, completely with the asterisk that <laughs> given what the Giants need this offseason and what they're going into, uh, what they're going to need to get to fill any of those needs, uh, the stupid, stupid, stupid way that the luxury tax or the competitive taxes calculated the AAV of this deal at 12.5 is pretty much a third of what the Giants have available to spend. Uh, and that leaves them with basically enough money to sign David Price or Zach Greinke for, you know, that's one season of him uh, for AAV. And so that essentially closes the book, I would think, on the Giants getting really even being remotely uh, in the 
in the conversation for either of those starters, I would imagine, which is disappointing. Um, I would say to that that they've told the press that they don't intend to go over the cap, and they might just do it anyway. I mean, if they have the chance to get Granky, especially who they love, you know, from all reports, I don't think they're going to be bothered that instead of being thirty million a year, it's then thirty-three million a year. Basically, I'm not sure that would be that big of a consideration for them. Well, one uh, other consideration could be that they. Maybe perhaps the AAV as part of the calculation gets changed in the next CBA, as I would imagine the uh, qualifying offer is probably going to be revisited as well. Um, possibly they, they expect that to happen too, because, you know, two years in a row that tax is going to go up. So may, maybe there's a trade involved too, which will clear some of the deck for that as well. Yeah, that's the other thing. You know, there was the rumor today that they've been uh, sniffing around Shelby Miller. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, Obviously, he'd be expensive in terms of prospects, but if they could get him, then signing, and then if they get him, maybe it's not Granky, maybe it's Jordan Zimmerman they're they're concentrating on, but then they could probably remain under the cap, I would imagine, without doing any math or checking the numbers at all. I would think that that would get them under. Sure, and if anyone would take Angel Pagan, I mean, there we go. That would also be very helpful as well, so... I don't know why I've suddenly set my sights on Angel Pagan being traded, but there you go. <laughs> hey, he was he was a very good player that last month of the season, so just forget everything he's done since 2012. <laughs> and the three months of rests he needs every year. So uh, Yeah, give him he's a good player on three months of rest. Yeah. And you know, Brandon Crawford, a left uh, uh left handed hitting middle infielder who's been taught directly by Barry Bonds. Uh, I, I mean, if the glove holds up in, you know, five years from now, $12.5 million a year is going to be the way that war per, war per dollar projections goes. I mean, a win will cost like $35 million. So he will be quite a bargain in five years' time if he's able to sustain that defense, which you never know, middle infielders and injuries and all that. But, I mean, let's just – be clear, there's no excitement in my voice because I'm a robot sometimes. But Brandon Crawford sticking around, I mean, just settling that entire infield, at least you know for probably the next two seasons, uh, if not three seasons, uh, that once Posey officially moves to first base. I mean, that's that's a locked-in infield, and, and that's great security for a team. I mean, obviously barring injuries. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. Because um, you have the left side is going to be Duffy and Crawford for years. The right side is going to be Belt, <laughs> who they like. And they, they have, you know, they made a little bit of noise about talking to him about an extension. Um, right. That was but, the most surprising part of the Brandon Crawford press conference, by the way, was <laughs> being asked about Brandon Crawford or Brandon Belt and uh, Bobby Evans saying, yes, we've had. You know, they're not worried about the concussion issues and that they have approached about an extension. So, uh, and I would think because of the, con- they're not con- as concerned about the concussion issues because if nothing else, it's actually lowered his, you know, his asking price, which would make uh, an extension even easier, uh, I would imagine. So, yeah, yeah, you would think. Yeah. Um, I, I guess there is some uncertainty at second base. Uh, they need to see if the doctors have finished. I don't know, whatever it is with Joe Panic's back, injecting adamantium in it, whatever they have to do. <laughs> is adamantium flexible? That's the one thing I was never clear on. So. Well, I mean, they do it when it's liquid, okay. so maybe. 
<laughs> well, yeah, certainly Joe Panic coming back would be important because the Kelby Tomlinson, Ari Adrianza, you know, question mark, that's that's definitely uncertainty you don't want out there, especially when, you know, your outfield situation is a little is a little hazy as well. And certainly your starting rotation is a is a you know, it's a gaping hole. It's a sinkhole essentially. So it's kind of a sinkhole underneath like a luxury car garage, if you think about it. <laughs> so So there so and then speaking of the infield, this is my beautiful segue. As you can see, folks, we're in our uh third broadcast here and we're just nailing these transitions. Uh Matt Duffy coming in second place for the rookie of the year voting, losing out to Chris Bryant. Uh not really a surprise, obviously that he lost, but extraordinarily surprising if you throw this podcast back in time to the beginning of the year, that he was in the <laughs> conversation at all and that we knew who he was. So we were, that yeah, we remembered absolutely. who he was. <laughs> um, back in spring training, you know, he was the guy who, who was tearing it up. And, you know, you were like, wow, that's great. He has to make the team now. And in the back of the mind, you're thinking, but does this really matter? <laughs> because, you know, those hot spring training performances, they don't mean anything a lot of the time. Uh, and then it did this year. For and sure. Matt Duffy was amazing. He also seemed to me, at least last year, because I liked him as, last year uh, because of his, he seemed like he had great back control and he seemed to hustle really hard. That Those things were so obvious that they stood out. And so if you knew nothing else about him, he seemed that he had those two elements, but he also seemed like just from his stance and his sort of general look at the plate, he was kind of in that Charlie Culberson, Gary Brown, generic giants <laughs> farmhand mold. And I just thought like, Oh, here's, here's another filler guy who's going to have a little spurt. We're all going to go crazy over and then we'll forget about him. And Kelby Tomlinson is like the next, next in line of that already. But Duffy has, I mean, Duffy to me, First of all, Duffy, I think, could play second base. I mean, if the Giants could get it, let's just say Panic is not, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Panic, and the choices are second or third base. You know, if they had to go with getting trading for or signing a third baseman, I think Duffy plays second base fine. He he seems very versatile, and his back his adjustments at the plate have seemed, um, I've seen like they're tangible. You can notice his approach changing or his ability to recognize pitches better and this is all eye test stuff but the numbers back it up he would slump but then kind of not slump in such a brandon belt way where you're just like oh my god this guy's got to be sent down probably <laughs> he had like normal growing pains and then bruce bochi bruce bochi who would who would rather who would rather start a vcr over <laughs> over a 19 year old uh, has started you know put him third and and had total trust in him, and I mean that's just remarkable to the point that you know you have to acknowledge. I mean you got to hope that this holds up in some respect uh, going forward, but it's it's exciting and just mainly shocking. Yeah, I mean you couldn't see this coming before the season. Like you might see coming that he'll be he'd be a good player. You could certainly say, well, yeah, he'll be better than Casey McGee because there were plenty of red flags there, but. That VCR would have actually been better than Casey McGee. That's true. I would have. Yeah. 
I would have rather seen it and you'd have a much easier time watching the unedited original Star Wars trilogy. That's right. <laughs> also, so, also the VCR would have had fewer tracking problems than Casey McGee. Anyway. So. <laughs> hey, <Hey-o. laughs> Um, yeah. So, but to, to say that he would be, what, what was he? Five wins, four or five wins, a four or five win player on fan graphs. That's, that's insane. That's, Better than Brandon Belt. That's just incredibly valuable player. You never could think, you know, you don't think anyone's going to become that unless they're tearing up the minors and they're a first round pick. And you've heard about them for years. Matt Duffy came out of nowhere and he was, you know, 18th round. He'd had, he gotten sick when he was at, in college and, you know, it sapped his power numbers and he had a good, of course, he had a good session in the Cape Cod League, but. Then he came back to college and he wasn't that good again. And it's just all this. How could you see it coming? And then he just goes out there and hits every day. He started every day, even when he had, uh, it was an ankle problem, I think, a sprained ankle. And he just, he slowed down a little bit in September, but you can't complain about that. You can't complain about anything Matt Duffy did. He was a total lifesaver for the team. And at least for a year, made the Giants, you know, helped us all move on from the Pablo Sandoval fiasco really immediately. Uh, yeah. He was 4.9 wins on fan graphs, which would be the third highest of Pablo Sandoval's entire Giants career. Um, <laughs> and Pablo <laughs> Sandoval was uh, minus two uh, wins per fan graphs for the Red Sox last year. So... <laughs> Just as a one-to-one comparison, certainly fantastic. But yeah, and and the thing is, we've all talked about how surprising Matt Duffy's been. That's been the coverage for most of the season. But I mean, this is like a good chance to come back to it. Chris Bryant, credit to Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant did exactly what was expected of him before the season started, right? <laughs> he was expected to come in and lead the Cubs and be this monster. And he was that exactly but it was it it is extreme it's extremely to his credit as much as it is uh credit to Matt Duffy for taking for doing what every big leaguer wants to do which is be given an opportunity be given a chance and making the most of it so i i mean i don't think Matt Duffy was someone he's not i definitely feel like it's possible he played to the top of his ability but i'm not entirely sure that that is a bad thing. If he's able to sustain that going forward, that's, you know, 4.9 wins. That's <laughs> extremely valuable. And, uh, and yeah, another Crawford and now Duffy. I mean, those days of it's Bill Miller and then nobody from the giants developing position players. Marvin Bernard. Marvin Bernard. <laughs> How dare you? This podcast is <laughs> over. <laughs> uh, you know, but those, he does everything that the giants could want in a, in a farmhand and everything they asked of him. So congratulations to Matt Duffy for having a hell of a year. Yeah, absolutely. He he gives us so much hope for the future too, which is just great. (laughs) Right. It's one of, it's kind of a reminder or I guess a glimmer of hope that the window is not going to slam shut that perhaps the giants, however, they, remastered or shifted their focus to developing young talent on the cheap, whatever they've done, however they've changed their instruction, whatever it is that hopefully it's going to continue to pay off. Obviously no team can sustain success 
you know, indefinitely. But the Giants certainly did for a very long time with what would be considered uh, an atypical development philosophy. Remember, their whole thing was like, let's just get him good enough to trade him. And now, yeah. and now they're basically like, let's see what we can use. We've got to have cheap talent, cheap death somewhere, and it's working out. And yeah, one what of the most random... impressive things as a Giants fan I've ever seen. So. Yeah, it's a definite just, well, let's just call up some random minor league or minor league infielder and he'll hit 320 for us. You know, <laughs> right. it's a good strategy if it works. Right. Uh, and, and again, just Kelby Tomlinson had that, he had that expectation on him coming, you know, as he started to play more. If, isn't that crazy to consider that everyone was like, oh, he's the next Matt Duffy. He's the next Brandon Crawford. He's the next, you know, he's the next guy to come out of the farm and do something. Uh, Joe Panic. And it's like, no, that's a lot of pressure suddenly to put on this guy. So, uh, so suddenly everything became very unreasonable as fanaticism tends to yield. So... <laughs> So speaking of unreasonable expectations, another beautiful segue by me, Kyle Blanks signed to a minor league deal by the Giants. And Kyle Blanks has played, uh, he's played 39 games <laughs> the last in, two in seasons. In his career. In his career. Yeah. He <laughs> is, uh, he's been in the major leagues for seven years and he's played 39 games, but he's hit 50 home runs. So, or he's, he, at least it seems like it. He's actually hit nothing. He's hit exactly for his major league career, 33 home runs. He, to me, seems like the Giants said, well, we want Marlon Bird back, but we don't want to pay Marlon Bird prices. We want Michael Morse back, but we don't want to pay <laughs> Michael Morse prices. So how can we get both of those things for a fraction of the Kyle Blanks? All right. That's what this move seems like to me. It's maybe we can find cheap, both of the things we want uh, in one guy. And then him being on the bench by virtue of just being on the bench, maybe the injury thing isn't as big of a problem. Yeah, I think um, I think it makes sense for the Giants that, you know, remember five or seven years ago when they were signing Josh Phelps and Dallas McPherson to minor league deals. Yeah. Um, and we were all kind of dreaming on them. Well, hey, now they're signing major leaguers to minor league deals. Guys with, you know, Kyle Blanks obviously has flaws. I don't know that he's ever, yeah, he's the most played appearance he's had in a season is 308. So I wouldn't count on him every day. And he'll, you know, he will definitely be injured at some point next year. Oh, for sure. Probably like four points next year. Uh, but when he's, but if he's healthy, when he's healthy, no, I'll stick with if. If he's healthy, he, you know, he's a good player. He does a lot of things well. He's, I remember him being a pretty good fielder. Um, he's, you know, he's a good hitter. He has that Michael Morse power. And, you know, they're just looking for a bargain for the bench. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe it'll be Justin Maxwell. Um, I wonder how often Bobby Evans goes, you know, it was fun, but we just can't let Madison Bumgarner pinch hit in the ninth. We need to win. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, that's why they called up. That's pro I mean, to me, that's why they called up Mac Williamson last year in September because Bumgarner had to pinch hit in a game in September, which should never happen, even when you have Madison Bumgarner. Right. Um, but it was just the injuries kept happening. So, yeah. And it's, a minor, someone... and it's a minor league deal. So it's, you know, if it doesn't work out, everybody goes their separate ways. You know who else is out there right now, though, Doug? 
as for, as uh, as well, Doug Fister's out there, that's for sure. But uh, as Grant uh, posted the other day, Aubrey Huff coming out of retirement. So, you know, if Joe Panic's injury persists, you know, and the Giants are looking for a little more depth at second base uh, and left field, those are Aubrey Huff's primary positions. You never know. Stranger things have happened. Could you think? It, could you imagine Kyle Blanks from the right and Aubrey Huff from left? As a platoon, either at first or in the field. <laughs> oh, man. You would go, you would look at that and you would be like, what happened? <laughs> what if you were coming out of a coma and were handed that lineup? <laughs> you would be like, what, where did I, what, what happened? What went wrong? <laughs> you, you come out of the coma, like, oh, well, at least it's not Jeff Francoeur. And then the guy's like, look in center field. <laughs> So that could be a potential August lineup, I'm fearing now. So, <laughs> Yeah. Um, what are your no, memories I'm, of Aubrey Huff? Uh, well, the inside the park Homer, yeah. for sure. Yep. Um, and then the clip of him right after the inside the park Homer when he was replaying it for everyone in the dugout, how exhausted he was. And that little, like, jog, that, like, jog in place that he did yep. to show them that he was jogging. Yep. Um. Then he, oh, he hit that homer in the, in the in 2010 in the World Series. That was a bomb. That was great. That was, yeah, that was crushed. And he's from Texas, so that must have been a pretty good experience for him to do it in, in Arlington. One thing that, that you reminded me of was not only his inside the park home run, but just how awkward and uncomfortable it looked for him to do things like run and field. <laughs> and even his swing had this weird... Uh, it wasn't a smooth. You know how left-handed swings are supposed to be beautiful. His his looked like he was he was swinging like a wagon or something. It never right. quite looked. It never or like a shovel. It never quite looked like he had that swing on lock that he knew what he was doing. It was it was a it's just very very interesting guy. Like the perfect. That is a quintessential Brian Sabian move. Right there was the Aubrey Huff signing. It's like, well, we need someone at first base who was good two years ago. And that's literally what that was. Who, who was good two years ago? Oh, Nick Johnson said no, Aubrey Huff. Right. Um, so Aubrey Huff, I think it's just fun to reminisce about him. And then, you know, uh, what happened with him in terms of his personal life? It's not really worth talking about, but certainly enough to rise to the news, that's got to be embarrassing. And that's always rough. You imagine, you know, your life, you're in the spotlight constantly, but then when you sort of take yourself out of the spotlight to have them still kind of follow you and shine the light on it, that's that's got to be the worst possible thing. Um, yeah, especially considering that it was anxiety, right? which is something that you're already, you know, you're already nervous about being in the spotlight, and then you're literally just no, I can't do this. You just, he got on a plane and went home. Um, yeah, it must've been rough. And I kind of, you know, at the time there was a lot of noise that nobody was sure what was going on. I think bags took some shots at him. Um, but yeah, looking back on it, I kind of feel bad for him in a way that I might not have at the time sort of irresponsibly. Oh, sure. I think that's natural. And then, you know, just in general, baseball players are extraordinarily emotional and kind of pissy and bitchy. Uh, <laughs> and, and so it's very easy to jump to conclusions or to make assumptions because that's kind of the culture in that way. Um, 
unrelated to the Huff thing, I mean, really, baseball players are extremely bitchy. <laughs> Just think about it. Like, right. How many people were crapping all over Bryce Harper last year, and now he's the MVP? <laughs> and, you know, it's talking about how overrated he is and, and all that. And, and you wonder if something like Yasiel Puig in, in L.A., how the overwhelming consensus in the Dodgers clubhouse is get rid of him. You know, it's just they people yeah. have such short fuses when it comes to quote unquote antics or just people behaving outside the norm. And then the reaction to those to those short fuses, it's always like this really emotional overreaction. So. Yeah. It, I mean, even thinking about um, earlier this year when in, in February, when Pablo Sandoval was being a total dick about the Giants and Aubrey Huff talked about him. Right. Like. That was an absolute bitch fest between both of them. Right. Like neither of them came off well in that. Um, and it was just, come on, just let it, go. just don't care that much. That's, that's all you have to do to be a person is not care that much. <laughs> right. <laughs> or yeah. And, and see, that's, that's being very fair because in my general course of life, I try, I kind of expect people of a certain age or a certain level or whatever to sort of try to put themselves in the place of someone else or expect that, you know, other people have, might have their reasons for doing certain things. But uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I think your, your way of dealing with this, like you guys don't all have to jump to the same level of response, the same frequency of response to every little thing. Uh, you know, you watch pictures on the mound, you know, Madison Bumgarner, does he really have to have the same reaction to the same, like to this kind of general, behavior that he doesn't like yeah. it's always the same reaction so yeah and i kind of understand a little bit more on the mound because you might not have the time to really think it through you're just like this is my mound i'm gonna dominate how dare that guy think that he should have hit that pitch sure um but it still is a little bit like okay come on you can just not do that right um <laughs> It's just funny that human being or like baseball players blow their fuse at the like pretty much it's all very predictable behavior. That is, yeah. Is, okay, if that guy blows his fuse, we know how it's going to look. If that guy blows his fuse, we know how it's going to look. I, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's very there's many more recent examples, but the one that always stands out to me is Roger Clemens throwing the bat. Right. At I was like, that's. That's the next level. That's the one that's the unexpected uh, evolution of that behavior. So. Right. And then violence. Right. <laughs> Which I don't know about you. Now this is me getting intense. But if someone threw a bat, like a broken bat shard at me, I don't know how Mike Piazza held his cool at all. Because he and, I think he he and Roger confused. Clemens already had beef. Right. I think he was like confused. And he's like, did that? happen sure am i missing something that's fair yes <laughs> that probably would have been my reaction just like did was there like a guy here who he was trying to get off the field what <laughs> basically what i'm saying is i'd like to see a lot more reactions like when jose fernandez snagged troy tulowitzki's liner <laughs> and troy tulowitzki yeah. was like did you catch that and fernandez was like yeah and, and yeah. that was just like everyone was like oh all right <laughs> But I, I like when something really intense happens on a baseball field and the guy just doubles down on being cool. Yeah, it's the thing that um, that Kirk and Kaipa always talk about with Rich Aurelia. 
that, you know, if somebody knocks him down, he would just get up and get a hit. Right. Um, I have a, I don't know how I, how to look up stats on that. And I don't want to, because I'm sure it would be proven wrong and I don't want to know that. Um, but yeah, that's like the cool thing. You get up and you beat him on the field and then, you know, maybe the next guy homers and you, you kind of laugh at the pitcher a little bit as you trot around the bases. Right. But nothing more than that. Right. Where going back to Marvin Bernard, I'm pretty sure he swung and knocked himself down a couple of times. So I, he certainly <laughs> he swung hard enough that his helmet came off and, and spun around on his head. Like he was a cartoon character. So, <laughs> uh, okay. So that like a real serious thing, a nice thing that also happened, uh, for the Giants this week was that uh, Major League Baseball and the commissioner named the Giants as the 2015 recipient of the Commissioner's Award for Philanthropic Excellence, and it was announced at the owners' meetings in Dallas. And it was just acknowledged for their Junior Giants program, uh, which, is, if you if you don't know, it's a free, non-competitive initiative for boys and girls age 5 to 18, which provides character development and baseball instruction. And so that's one of their main things that they do. Uh, they'll receive a $10,000 grant from Major League Baseball Charities as part of this recognition. And, well, Doug, I think, you know, I don't think you could say really anything about the Giants uh, negatively about their community outreach. I think ever since the move to China Basin, I'm sure Peter McGowan, I'm sure you could point out that once Peter McGowan and the ownership group bought the Giants, that that has been their primary thing of changing the culture but especially since they moved to AT&T Park, I think they've done uh, even more to in ingrain themselves in the community, in the area. Uh, and this isn't necessarily speaking directly to that, but the Giants' philanthropic measures, it's such a no-brainer for them to do, and they do it very well. Yeah, it's um, it's good to see that they're recognized for it. And it's always good to see when, you know, when an old player will go out. Like I remember last year, Noah Lowry dedicated a field. Um and they've just been all, uh, I think Posey did last year. I'm sure he's done a bunch of them. Kane's done a few. Um, it's just one of those things that you see and you go, oh, good for them. Like, it's good. They're getting out there. They're talking to kids. And, you know, generally speaking, the Junior Giants kids, they're not necessarily the most well-off. Like, I don't know, some of them might be, but they always have the glove drives where they, they get thousands of gloves. And it's just a really good thing to do for the community and for the kids and um, it's one of those things that you're proud of the Giants for doing. Yeah, and and I like the idea of character, teaching character, character development. It's a, it's a weird world we live in, and not getting political here. It's just a, it's nice to see that character. It does count. It does matter, and it's not about making a certain kind of good person. But you hope that if you can teach enough things, uh, a, a wide enough message that even if people don't pick up all the finer points, they get the general idea and they carry that with them as they grow up. Um, and so it's nice to see that a baseball team of all organizations makes that a part of it. And yeah, I mean, there's lots, there's plenty to be proud of uh, if you're a Giants fan, uh, but this is a, a nice thing. And again, it's just, it's easy for them to do it. They have the money and they have the time and it's nice to see giving back to the community. I've been reading a lot about baseball, uh, baseball organizations and what the big deal is about them. And the, the primary thinking is that baseballs are, uh, they're public, not utilities. I'm, I'm blanking on the word now, but they're public institutions. Uh, they're, they're part of the civic 
fabric of any city they're in, which is why baseball is such a regional sport. But the civic pride aspects and the community give back and all that, that's that's as much a part of the team. It's if, if you can't quantify it for profitability, it has to be factored in if you're owning a baseball team and why you're trying to win, one of the main reasons why you're trying to win. So, you know, the Giants are winners, and they've done everything they can to to essentially bump the A's out, I would say, in the, in the Bay Area. Because growing up, all my friends were A's fans, and the A's always had the Giants. You know, the Giants played in a dumpster, and the A's played in a beautiful stadium, and you know all those stories. But they're, they're even unseating the 49ers, and the, it's because the 49ers continue to, you know, have self-inflicted gunshot wounds to their entire character, karma, whatever you want to say, their reputation. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, you know, you can sum up the difference between them really easily, and I'm sure there's more to it than this, but the Giants build baseball stadium, build baseball uh, parks for kids. The 49ers are, like, tearing down soccer parks. Right, So. Right. I mean, that's the difference right there. I don't know. The 49ers might be doing lots of good things with young football players, um, but you don't hear about it because the tenor around them right now, it is not good. And nobody really cares about anything they might be doing that's good because there's so much bad. And the Giants have basically nothing but good, at least community-wise. You know what? Let's answer some some of our Twitter questions real quick. We've only got a few, and then we'll play a game. How's that sound you, Doug? That sounds really good. All right. So the first question is uh, is from Shanghai Jim on Twitter, at Shanghai Jim. And he asks, will there be uh, Skeeter Duffy merchandise at the dugout store next season? I'd be surprised if he doesn't have his own wall at the dugout store. <laughs> Just like a whole plushy doll and like hat and... Oh, I thought you meant like a picture, like a, like a fathead that was to scale and it just happened to take up the whole wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're definitely going to try to sell some Skeeter stuff because you have to. I'm curious to know how that deal works out. This is the amateur uh, entrepreneur in me, and that is, is Duffy would be licensing the likeness of his cat to the Giants, or would the Giants try to buy those rights outright so they didn't have to pay any licensing to Matt Duffy? I think that would I wonder be... If they... I wonder if they would give the proceeds to charity from the Skeeter stuff, like to an animal charity. Oh, that'd be cool. See, already already you have made this idea even better. So <laughs> I think so. It makes a lot of sense. I think they are counting on Matt Duffy being around next season. Um, the Giants seem to be slow on hearing the really good ideas, so maybe people will signal boost this idea to make sure that that actually happens. Um, yeah, it seems like a no-brainer to me. And anytime yeah. you can get into that cat action business, the cat lovers, you're you're gonna make you're gonna make a hundred thousand dollars before you even finish the state the press release. So it, it'll just be done immediately. That's exactly right. Next question is from at John Arano, and he asks: So Ian Kennedy rejected his qualifying offer. How long will the podcast pause for laughter? I don't know, Doug. <laughs> do you want to pause and, and time it? I'm. Yeah, I'm mostly going to pause for recrimination um, because I'm the one who is adamant that he wouldn't reject it. But yeah, we can we can get some laughter in there too. <laughs> oh man! Oh man! So Ian Ian Kennedy is ready for a two year sixteen million dollar deal. I think is probably what's going to happen instead of yeah. a one year sixteen million dollar deal. 
that he could probably spin off if he pitched well enough into like a three-year, $36 million deal. Maybe. Maybe if he pitched really well. Um, I don't right. know. I, I like seeing the qualifying offers picked up this year, but I was hoping that if this entire CBA went without any qualifying offers, that that would be enough to just say, let's not do this anymore. Because I feel like, here's why I feel like it's silly. It goes up so much every year. That's the biggest reason to me that it seems kind of pointless almost. That's, yeah, it's a ton of money now. Yeah. But Ian Kennedy, it's Ian Kennedy. So. Yeah, come on. <laughs> You're not not Ian Kennedy. Right. It's like, do you not realize that? But I would like to point out this does leave leave us, the, does take the Giants one step closer to getting Doug Fister. So. <laughs> the dream is alive. Merry Fistmas, everyone. Uh, so then our last question is from Natto at Natto, N-A-T-T-0. Where are my keys? Have you checked under the couch, Natto? That's my... It's there under the couch. Joe, under the couch. Uh, so those are, again, you can always, uh, tweet us questions. We usually ask for them at the beginning of the week on Monday. We don't know about next week for a podcast, so, but we'll put out questions anyway and we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll put out the offer for questions. All right, let's play this last game, uh, or let's play this game and get it going. Uh, for this week, I think we should play a game using just the Giants roster of players who are coming back next season. So we don't have to get into free agency or anything like that. Or and anyone who is on the roster this year, let's just say. That'll be even easier. <laughs> and uh, we'll play a game since we're heading into Thanksgiving. And uh, thanks or no thanks. Do you? I'll name a player, You we'll name a player, and then... The other guy will figure out, do we give thanks for this person or do we say that person? No, thanks. So I'll, <laughs> I'll go first. Um, Sergio Romo, thanks or no thanks? Um, I'd say thanks for Sergio Romo. Uh, he, you know, he's obviously had a little bit of a decline the last few years, but man, when his slider's working, it's just, there's nothing more fun to watch than him just making making hitters look like idiots. Making hitters look like me at the plate. It's it's beautiful. <laughs> Anytime you can break down a major leaguer to look like Doug Brazano, then you have. <laughs> uh, I yeah. will also give thanks for Sergio Romo. I'll give thanks because uh, he seems committed to, you know, he likes being a giant. That comes through, and I, I appreciate that because in my time of being alive, being a Giants fan, you could say that some of the best players, your favorite players, you weren't always clear if they like the Giants. Jeff Ken. Um so you know, <laughs> so that to me, I appreciate Sorry, that. I, um, and, we both and coughed. We said Jeff Ken we did. when we were coughing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that guy stands out. But yeah, Sergio Romo, good giant, great slider, um, and th- has thrown one great fastball in his life. So, when <laughs> right. I am thankful for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to say Jake Peavy. Oh, man, this is tough. I'm, I'm feeling very uh, – I got to say thanks. I'm feeling schmaltzy. Thanks, Jake <laughs> Peavy, for not crapping the bed last season. Thanks for really – I mean, you are now a six-inning pitcher, but that's who you are, and you did it very consistently – and thanks because you're doing all this with apparently legal blindness, and I don't know how you're doing it. 
<laughs> Thanks for keeping the Giants in playoff contention until Bruce Bochy left you in. He started you in the seventh inning of that Monday night game in L.A. and lost the season <laughs> back in September. <laughs> but thanks, Jake Peavy, for, for coming over and basically for, for – let's just leave out the World Series. Let's never speak of the World Series again. Right. But being uh, very steady for the Giants, exactly what they had hoped for from him. And uh, for seeming like a really cool guy, actually. So, yeah, I agree. I'd say I'd say thanks. Um, I think as long as Bochi understood how to use him, which by the end of the year he mostly did. By the time it didn't matter, he mostly did. Uh, you know, he, he was a good pitcher. He just you can't leave him out for the seventh. The seventh is it's like putting a gremlin in water. You you don't do it. That's right. It's like he he drinks something, some sort of tonic that helps his maybe his vision, and it just where it goes, it's like a sugar crash. It's just gone in <laughs> inning seven. You just can't do it, or it's the third time through the order. It's probably that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, Tim Lincecum. Thanks or no thanks? Um. Yeah. That's. Um. I don't want to say no thanks because he's Tim Lincecum. But at the same time, he's spent four years being bad. And, you know, last year he had that that brief thing for the first month or two when his ERA was really shiny. And you would just watch him start his starts and you'd say, this won't last. <laughs> and then it didn't. Uh, but at the same time, he's Tim Lincecum. <laughs> oh. Uh, th thanks, Tim Linscombe, but I don't necessarily want you back. I think that's my answer. My answer is thanks for nothing. That's, <gasps> that's my answer. <laughs> I think we all got everything we could out of the relationship. And, uh, yeah, the other, sh the other shoe dropping with Tim Linscombe last season was – the most expected turn. It wasn't even a turn. You just knew it was going to happen, that he was just not going to be good anymore. And, right. And it was, it's, it's like a movie where someone starts out dealing drugs, like, I'm going to keep making money forever. That's right. And then, you know, at the midpoint midpoint of the movie, suddenly he stops. You're like, yeah. Right. <laughs> That's right. Tim Lincecum was blow or uh, – <laughs> or, or boogie nights. He was he was very obvious uh, what was happening there. Uh, the Giants might bring him back next season. I mean, it seems trending in that direction. I think a doctor coming out and saying that his hip is gonna going to be totally fine after that surgery was very interesting because I'd like to know how that is the case. It's your hip, and those things don't tend to regenerate, only degenerate, and. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I could be completely wrong, and it could be a, a muscle thing. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I think it's just time. I, I, I like Tim Lincecum, but again, he hasn't been good for four years. So why do we want to keep watching? You know, why do we keep? It's we are keep we're asking our old dog to run up the steep staircase, and it's obviously a struggle. So why do we keep doing it? <laughs> yeah, there, I've run out of, of analogies. So. Speaking of bad knees going up an old staircase, Angel Pagan, thanks or no thanks? Mm. No thanks. I think we got our <laughs> fill. I think we got our fill. 
Angel Pagan is, uh, uh, I was very excited when the Giants got him. I think he, he proved his worth. And I feel like if there's any way they can. So I'm thankful for what he's done for the Giants. And I, I hope that the last great thing he does for the Giants is nets them some tax relief and maybe like a middle reliever or some sort of minor leaguer. So I'll take just the money relief. But uh, I feel like that time has come and gone. I feel like he's entrenched in center field, and he's definitely a guy that Bruce Bochy doesn't want to disrespect because it seems like he will take it very personally if he gets moved off of center field. And I don't think him playing center field is helping him or the Giants, mainly the Giants. And I just don't see – I feel like if there's any way for anything, literally anything, if it's just money – if it's just if someone just takes him off the roster and the Giants are paying eighty percent, we'll probably pay more like sixty percent. You know, if they paid six million dollars and someone wanted him four million dollars of him, that feels like that could happen, and I think it would be worth it. So. Yeah, I'd I'd have to say no thanks. You know, love as a person, he seems very nice. Um, you know, you watch him on those Sunday games when they have kids who run out to the out who run out to the outfield. He's always like the sweetest person in the world. To the little girl who's out there in center field. Um, love the hair. Love the swirly love good the looks. Hair. Well, yeah, I'll love it all. Um, as a baseball player, yes. no. He's, no. Yeah. Thanks or no thanks, Ryan Vogelsong. Ooh, yeah. Um, I mean, he's he's sort of like a mini version of Lincecum uh, yeah. in, in terms of this game, where you appreciate everything he's done. You appreciate especially his story coming back, but do, should he come back for another year? No, thanks. He's seems pretty. I don't want to say he's done as a pitcher, but it seems like he shouldn't be back with the Giants. If there's anything left in there, it's probably another pitching coach, another coaching staff who should get it out. And honestly, the Giants releasing him would just piss him off, which is probably what he needs to be great again, right. if he can be. Right. But it would be one of those things with the diminished. You know, he would be fired up for a little while, and then age and mechanics and, you know, talent would creep in. So teams would have to keep releasing him <laughs> so that he'd keep being good. So, uh, get you know, have a couple of good starts. Yeah, I'm going to say thanks because he is different from Lincecum in that occasionally he gives the Giants what they need, and that allows them to keep deluding themselves into believing he can still be helpful consistently. And but I it feels like he's such a miracle story to begin with that I don't have the same feelings with Lincecum. Lincecum has a career trajectory, like he has a career arc. We can see we saw that entire arc. Maybe right. he comes back, but in the history of Major League Baseball, chances are he's done. Ryan Vogelsong was done. So he had that and he came back. He was he was like one of the few successful revivals. That has happened. That happens. And so I'll be thankful for what he did. Yeah, no thanks to next season. I'm not really interested in seeing him come back. But there were times this year where he did help the Giants out, and he was here and there, one of their only good pitchers. He's great, especially. Uh, I always remember Todd Wellmeyer, besides being a travesty (laughs) for the Giants, uh, but being a stopgap until, you know, Bumgarner was ready and all that. But one thing I remember about – 
Wellmeyer's last game with the Giants, which I believe was in Arizona, was that he was still throwing 92 or 93, maybe even 94, and his fastball had movement. It just was all in the middle. Like, it was the ball was finding the middle of the plate only, and he had no <laughs> secondary pitches. And then I remember him getting smashed and then, like, being out of the game and jogging off the mound and jogging in down the steps of the dugout and then all the way through the tunnel, and I never saw him again. That was yeah. That's what I remember. He just jogged out the field and down in the tunnel, and then he was gone. But you know, Ryan Fulgasong, he still can throw a fastball. He's still it's a heavy fastball. Still, he just has no command or control of his secondary pitches. Pretty much most of the time, especially the last half of the season. You know, it was like, oh, there's that curveball a little bit. But basically, he was living on his fastball. And I wonder if that's sort of like the last thing to go before a guy is actually done. So. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I always think of Todd Wellmeyer when I think of uh, <laughs> pitchers who are done because it seemed like he shouldn't be done. He's not Jamie Moyer. He's not Cliff Lee. He's not Roy Halladay. You know, where like you can just see the velocity's gone and everything, nothing's working. But sometimes people are yeah. just gone. Sometimes you're just done. Yeah, sometimes you're just done, and so are we. What a beautiful transition out. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the McCovey Croncast. I've I've been Brian Murphy at Every Six Day. I've been Doug Brizzoni at Moonwalk McFly. And we will be back next week, maybe. All right, thanks again. <laughs> Bye. Bye.